This is our latest edition of Doing It Sober Live from South Africa. My name is Chris Nell, and Daniela okay. Park from Florida will be joining us in a couple of moments. Jared is with us, Jared Collier. Yeah. I have to open this uh, with a premise, as we do with all of our guests. Every given moment involves change. Am I right, Jared? It's that an uncomfortable right. phase. It's an uncomfortable phase. But the middle of every given human being is forged in fire. Integration or evolution? What works for you? What doesn't? In today's, if you want to know it or not, dysfunctional society and in functional sobriety, a clear blueprint is never provided, which is why mentorship is almost a compulsory given. To the opposite end of that coin, continuous independent study is a faithfully enriching tool. The best part is going from failure to failure with unfinished enthusiasm, to quote late Prime Minister Winston Churchill, while also embracing change. This independent study is what Jared Collier embraces fully. Jared has enjoyed recent success as founder and host of the initiative Strength in Time and his podcast entitled Redeem Yourself. During his visit with us today, he chats on his path to recovery, some lessons he has purveyed, and how exactly to go about to step outside the box. My kind of man, Jared, welcome. <laughs> no, thank you so much for that, Chris, man. I'm, I'm happy to be here. How are you? Um, doing well, doing well, my kind sir. Hale and hearty, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Jared, take yeah, yeah. me back a little bit. Um, firstly, whereabouts are you from in the States? I'm in Richmond, Virginia. Oh, okay. Is, would that be the Midwest? Or which part of the United uh, States is that? We're considered the East Coast. So East Coast, uh, like oh, it's okay. the... So that's more the East. It's like weird. Yeah, East Coast, but we're the southernmost point of the North. Well, I can I can understand that. Look, I'm still studying all the certain parts of the United States. You know, I've been working with Americans for a long time now, ever since 2020. So I'm at a point of two. Could I use the swear word and say ingratiate myself? Into, <laughs> uh, but uh, that being said, Jared, take me back. Where did uh, your first taste of either the drink or the drug start and... Give me a timeline as to ultimately how you decided to just go through the motion and then say, no, not for me. Yeah, of course, man. Uh, you know what? Let's see. My first bout with addiction, um, you know, what I found, because they say hindsight is twenty twenty, right, is that, you know, my first taste actually happened well before I ever, you know, took a sip of alcohol or did a drug because it was uh, based around like trauma and my inner feelings, like how I felt about myself and how others treated me. So around 13 or 14, um, and it was something simple, just being stupid as kids, hanging out with my cousins, um, uh, you know, a family member left some Coronas in the fridge and, you know, we thought it'd be okay during the summer to start drinking them, you know, and it kind of loosened us up. So the habit started there. And then, of course, high school hits, um, and I moved. And when it all started to fall apart for me, I moved from Florida, which is where I'm originally from, Tallahassee, Florida. <clears throat> and everything I knew was there. Um, my family. Oh, there she is. Tallahassee. There she is. Woo, woo. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you were saying you began drinking Corona ciders at a young age. Yes, yes, yes. And we began drinking some Coronas at a young age. Um, and it all started, my dad, well, that was at 13 or 14, right? But before that, my father moved from Tallahassee to Richmond um, to, I want to say, go to seminary school. But he left me, my mother, and she was pregnant with my younger brother uh, when I was like eight or nine, right? So my dad growing up was like my idol. So like my support, my bonds, my friends, when he moved, all kind of left. And my mother had to focus so much time on work and being pregnant that I, you know, just kind of went my own way and did my own thing. So after school, it was not so much focused on the schoolwork. I was just out running around with my friends, right? So, <laughs> yeah, you know, like it was the life back then. But, you know, I really didn't have the guidance and stuff that I missed, like when my father left. So... Mm. 13 hits and he's like hey we're gonna move everybody to richmond like we're all coming to virginia and hindsight is 2020 he just assumed that the same support system that we had in florida with all of our family you know the church and all that stuff would just kind of happen in richmond um well it never did for me so you remove like the head of the household who's supposed to be like the authority figure the disciplinarian, and then you drop him back into the life of a teenager, right? Now you got young me. No, no, no. I'm now I'm defiant as all hell. You know, it's like, man, I haven't listened to you since I was nine. You know, you haven't talked to me. I've seen you, barely seen you, and now you're just working all the time. How dare you tell me what to do now? <laughs> you know, which yeah. is crazy, but it. You know, so it was like. It was one of those things, um, and it left me, when I moved to Virginia, it left me trying to find a space to fit in, right? Uh, the style here was different. In Florida, I was wearing shorts year-round, uh, you know, maybe a hoodie up here. They had on Timberland boots, so I had to really just kind of find my way, like navigate it. Like, it was just all completely different, and um, when I couldn't, you know, it was like, you're smoking weed? Cool, let me try that. You know, so then I started hanging out with people smoking weed, which led to we can drink and party. Well, the party never stopped for me, right? What should have just been something that maybe Friday we meet up, had a little fun, um, and then go about my life and keep progressing turned into years of, oh no, I need this to function. I need this to fit in. I need this to feel like I'm a part of a group of people. So I have quote unquote friends. Um, mm -hmm. So that was like my life from say 15 to 27, you know, it, it just began to continue. I worked when I could hold down a job, right? <laughs> I worked to spend my money however long I lasted. When my money ran out, then I'd try to go get some work to get back to it. But, mm. so that was my relationship with alcohol. Um, at around 19, I was introduced to cocaine, uh, which opened up a completely different world. <laughs> you know, uh, oh, I was yeah. with a couple buddies. Yeah, yeah, you know, so when that introduced me, it was just a completely different ball game. And it was like off to the races. I was uh, 19 with a, with a couple buddies. We were all playing poker at like 
2 o'clock in the morning. Um, I really think they had me there to take my money because I was hammered. <laughs> like, I still remember sitting <laughs> with a bottle of Captain Morgan's, right? And I'm drinking out of the bottle. Like, that's how... <laughs> but that's how gone I was. Like, I was sitting at this table. Wrong one. Drinking out of a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there it is. Um, and you know, my friend comes out the room and he dumps this substance on the table, and I'm like, "Well, man, what is that?" You know, they started to tell me, "Oh, you don't want that. You don't want that." Well, I'm drunk. You can't tell me I don't want something. My my thoughts are gone. My ability to make wise decisions and choices is out of the window. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, were you into crime? Did you ever? Were, I you, did. were you bad? Yeah, after that. Before that, I, I would do crime, and then it's more thankful I didn't get caught. Right. You know that. that right. You know right. I didn't get caught. You know because I would have gotten caught. It would have been a long laundry list of stuff I would have had to overcome. So uh, they introduced me to cocaine, um, and it was like overnight. I decided that, you know what, I'm going to sell this stuff because that is the right <laughs> idea, right? Wow. Like, yeah, like it, it, went, it went from here to here overnight, just like, I'm going to be a drug From dealer, employee right? to entrepreneur. Gonna... Yeah, <laughs> right? No plan, <laughs> no nothing. <laughs> no it's all or nothing, time. son. Right, that means that's the mind of an addict, right? I don't want to do the <laughs> small baby steps. <laughs> Right, I need it now. So it was like cool. So I, I set off into this mission that you know to become a cocaine seller, and um, I did it. I, it was a very short run, mind you, because I was so like out there with everything I was doing. You know, I wanted the the false acceptance. I still was reaching out to be a part of something, and then by twenty one, you know, people are growing up. They're graduating college. They're having careers. And here I am, my group of friends is getting younger, right? So how can I still act like I have it all together? Oh, I need money, right? So what's the fact? Oh, let me sell drugs. Let me feel like I'm a part of it. And it opened doors to, like, people and places that I never thought, like, I would see in that same realm. So it was like a false acceptance for me that I fell in love with. You know, I loved it. I loved being, getting the phone calls. Hey, come to this party. Come here. It's like, no, they didn't want me there. They just wanted what I could supply, you know? But I didn't care. Like, that's all I was after. I didn't, the money you was had, like, that was your I purpose, to be right? right, because I had a habit. So I really was just doing it to come to the party, get a little money and hang out and do drugs. Like, I didn't care. Um, that run came to an end in 2008. I, I was incarcerated for a year for the distribution of cocaine. And, um... I sat in there with my thoughts. Uh, I actually came home at like, I want to say nine or 10 months because there was a, a drug program you could go into to help you learn how to become sober for addicts. And I didn't listen to a word, you know, no. I, I went, no, not at all. I went to this program with the intentions of it would not time off of my sentence. And that's all I heard. Oh, I can go sit through this and get some time to come home early. Fine. Sign me up. Um, which is kind of funny because the young lady who runs that program now helps me give back to that program. 
So I'm just there. Wow. I go there now to, to make sure they listen. Works. It's kind of funny. Right. Everything so happens for a reason. Exactly. Exactly. So I came home. I turned 22 um, in jail. Came home. Had my first son. Um, you would think, you know, kids are supposed to be the way to help you change. Didn't change. It actually made my depression and anxiety and and feeling less than that much greater because I couldn't, I'm a felon now. Like, how am I going to take care of this child? I can't even take care of myself, um, which led to me drinking more and using more. A um, couple of years goes by, I turned 27, and this is where uh, you know, I started to wrap it up. I got to my U-turn moment. Um, I had my second son, who he was a month old. His birthday is July 8, 2013. And that was probably at the darkest point of my addiction because I see a way out of the hole that I dug. I had mentally beat myself into submission that my life was over. Uh, you know, me and the mother and my sons, we weren't getting along, rightfully so. Um, I was dead broke, couldn't find a job. We were all living in my parents' household. Um, mm-hmm. And... I, I assumed like everybody was talking about me and making fun of me because at this point I'm a full-blown grown man with absolutely nothing to my name. Um, mm. August 15th of 2013 hits. Uh, it was like, I call it my goodbye day. You know, I, I started day drinking, went from like place to place, talking to people that I hadn't talked to in a while and started pretty early getting as hammered as I could. Um, that night I got dropped off at my parents' house, probably like 12 o'clock, 12 to two in the morning and was outside having a meeting, you know, with God, like yelling at the sky, like, why am I here? Why did you bring me here? This isn't the life you promised me. I don't want to do this anymore. Like if I have to live this way, take me like I'm done. I am over it. I'm sorry. And, um, Jared, we will you not. Know, please don't fight back your tears. Honestly, Thank you. every week we go through this, Chris is always crying. <laughs> Listen, if I've told fine. this story. I've told this story a thousand times now, and it gets to this portion, and it's always the same. Like the emotions are so real Amazing. and still there. Like I can't. Fight but it's it. understandable, Jared. Uh, Jared, it's a thank swell you. of pride now, and nah, thank we, you. we get emotional because of that. Yeah. Right, There's nothing right. to be ashamed of. Ashamed of that. Oh, no. Men may hey. cry. <laughs> Listen, I'll cry some grown man tears, man. I don't care. Yeah. I'll let them out now. I'll let them out. My man. So, my man. Yes. So I ended up going inside my parents' house and um, you know, just started popping pills. I had no intentions to want to wake up. I just was ready for it to be over. Um, oh. You know, thank God. During that period, I fell asleep. And it didn't go any further than that. Um, Thank God. I woke up. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I woke up the next morning angry. Um, still irritated because it wasn't supposed to be that way. Like, you know, why am I still here? Like, no, I was supposed to lay down yeah. and that was it. Um, which then led me to my parents and my father. You know, as much crap as I gave him throughout the years, it was like the one time he stepped up. And he just looked at me and was like, man, let me get you some help. You know, I'm sorry. I didn't know. I didn't know it was this bad. I just thought you were going through a phase. Um, Mm. 
we get to the hospital. I'm still a wreck, like bawling my eyes out, pissed off. And it was like this calming moment came over me, which I know now was my spiritual awakening. Um, Damn near slapped me and was like, hey, you got a second chance at life. Do what you got to do. And immediately, and all the people I talked to in recovery have had this feeling, so you know, immediately. <laughs> immediately I'm sorry, I couldn't like, help it. Was that? <laughs> that was great. It was very timely. Um, but immediately, this like calming spirit just came over me. And all of my fears, all of that anxiety, any question that I had was washed away. And I remember looking at the nurse and just saying, you know what, I'm ready to go. Like, take me wherever you got to take me. Let's do this. And that was it. That was, you know, my foundation. That was when I decided to make that that turn. And I went up in that room. It kind of reminded me of my jail cell at first. Um, I laughed a lot. I cried a lot. But I didn't run. It was the first time I sat with myself and all of my emotions and all of my feelings and just dealt with them. And, you know, I was just ready for change. I reached that point where I was just ready for change, and I have not looked back since. Wow. My, my, my. Yeah. That that spiritual experience, it it works. It works. It does. And we're lucky lucky if we get to experience that, you know. Most certainly. Most certainly. So you've been sober nine years. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. And you have quite an interesting uh, path you're on now. I mean, I, I always watch your videos and, uh, <laughs> you know, you're very, you're on a spiritual path still. Yeah, I, I, I like to think so. Um, and with everything that I'm building now I actually came from another moment, you know, where life threw a test at me. Um, the place I was working was not working out. And I was in a, like a space of like pain, mentally, a lot of anxiety. And I was meeting with my therapist and she was like, well, you just seem like you're worn out. Like, what could you do on a daily basis? Or what could you talk about without preparation? If I asked you to give me a speech right now, like what would it be? And I was like, well, that's easy. Like sobriety and recovery. I've been living, and this was seven years at the time. I was like, well, I've been doing that every day for the last seven years. And she was like, well, you should look there. And I was like, oh, okay, well, what kind of careers are they? And then she turned me on to the, uh, like the peer recovery specialist courses, which I started to take those. And then I really was like, you know what? There's so many people out there who may not have found success in recovery by going to AA and NA, right? Because for me, my, my sobriety came from like an internal overhaul. Like I did everything but reading books, meditating, uh, you know, giving back to the community, being of service, but I didn't know where to look. And I was like, well, maybe if I just tell my story, somebody sitting at home not knowing where to turn may find hope in this and that's how everything started and i just kept going well you know what i have to say that hearing you speak i can say the same for daniela there's a lot to identify with there's a lot to uh, correlate with in your story i also had that experience where i was brought to my knees spiritually 
with nowhere to turn to. Two things. And Danny, you are also part of this trifecta, this tri-environment, is that level of maturity, the more clean time that you accrue, uh, the more that you stick to your path of recovery, however that may be, through a, a, a structured program, a 12-step inpatient outpatient facility or um, harm reduction, whatever the case may be, that level of maturity that you build in character as you accrue mm. more clean time, for me, starts to become a lot more prevalent in a person's character. It's an amazing sight to see. And I've made this uh, second blanket statement as well. Maybe it's my own way of thinking. Maybe it's my sense of observation that needs a recheck. But people today, like you, like Keith Butler, who we've had here early on in the year, like Tim Lodgen, uh, Lumi Doka, Sandra Lee, name them by the buckets. All of them have one common denominator apart from sobriety. They are fantastic, natural communicators. Am I right or am I mm. wrong in that summation? And that I more totally or less led you. And that led you to starting your own podcast. Tell me, tell us right. about that. So the Redeem Yourself podcast, um, actually, it was something that just kind of came on the whim. Uh, my friend Eden. We were on a clubhouse, and she uh, she messaged me to buy a hoodie, actually. And we were talking, and she was like, well, come on to my show. She did some show. I forget the platform it was then, and we, we can talk. So in the midst of us having this conversation on live, she was like, it's a story of redemption. And I was like, yeah, you know, redeem myself. That's what I do. Like, just like you, redeem yourself. And it stuck. So after that, she calls me, and she was like, hey, you should do a podcast with that name. And I'm like, podcast? Like, I don't even know what that is yet. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's the universe, right? Giving me a sign to just step into it and try it, right? <laughs> so they started with just Eden and I. We'd sit down on Instagram Live, um, and we would talk, just have basic conversations, which turned into interviews. And then, uh, you know, she stepped out to do whatever people in California do when they get busy. And she gave me the range. She was like, hey, do what you got to do with it. You know, just make it happen. So I sat still for about, right, yeah, it was like six months. Like, all right, what do I do? Like, I never thought about podcasting. And then it just hit me like, you know what? It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to use your voice to make sure people, you know, hear the message of recovery over and over and over again. And that's what I've been leading on to do is just continue to push it forward. Uh, we just actually shot a uh, our first big visual today. Uh, it's a place. And if you ever come to Richmond, Virginia, it's the first standalone um, non-alcohol bottle shop. And she invited what, what us in. What the hell is that? <laughs> a non-alcohol bottle shop? Oh, bottle. Yeah. I thought you said... I thought you said bio. I'm like, what? No, no, no. Bottle. So, yeah. Disruptive marketing taken to a whole new level. Yeah, I know, right? So, what's up with that? That sounds cool. We we sat down in there today um, and we interviewed her to really get eyes on her space, you know, being with the holidays coming up. Um, so to, to kind of offer some hope to the people who have to go to those 
certain environments, whether you're around your family and your friends and that you know everybody's going to drinking, like, hey, you can come to this store, buy you something that's non-alcoholic, and that some of them have, like, even, like, healthy stuff in them, and you could still feel a part of the conversation without, you know, sacrificing your sobriety or recovery with it. So it was a pretty cool conversation, and I can't wait to put that out there. Yeah, like it takes the anxiety out of the out of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can enter a space. Mm-hmm. Well, what I wanted to say is, listening to you speak about this uh, bottle shop, it kind of makes me excited to see the horizons that sobriety is going to go. And you're more than welcome to throw in your fifty cents here as well. Whereas, you know, I mentioned a couple of sentences ago, you had these degrees of sobriety, uh, achieving recovery. Uh, You have these levels, but now it's almost like evolution. It's starting to evolve more gradually. Because let's face it, recovery is a tricky thing because it's mind, body, soul, spirit. Mm. And in so doing, each one has to discover their own journey, their own compass, be it morally, be it otherwise. How has the reception been with regards to this new enterprise? And I don't want to tread on toes, but has there been any adversity? Have people said, how can you do something like this? As is the norm as well in this recovery community, I'm sorry to say. Man, you know, I haven't really experienced much negativity with it. You know, despite Thank the you know, maybe Lord. people, yeah, maybe people locally, that, you know, never thought that I would change, but, you know, I, I buy by simple rules, man. The four, the four agreements was a game changer for me and not taking oh, yes. things personally. You know, like I really thrive off of that because my addiction and all of my depression and anxiety, I used to listen to what people said about me. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. now it's like, I don't care. <laughs> You know, if it's bad, I can't let it affect who I am and who who I'm becoming. Yeah. Um, so even if it did, it probably wouldn't, you know, get to me or I'd hear it. But for the most part, it's been all love. It's been extremely welcoming, you know. You got something negative to say about somebody giving back to the community. I don't even know, like, how that would, how you could formulate that. So it's weird, you know. <laughs> you got to pray for that one. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's like. You've, you know, you've gotten your. I, what what do they call it? Um, well, I know you're getting your self esteem back, but you're you're doing esteemable acts, and I've said this before. Right. You know, you do the esteemable acts, and you gain that esteem back. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing right. is is really amazing because you're talking and learning, and you're helping people stay sober as mm-hmm. you're talking to them, like we are today. You know, and mm-hmm. we just we just do it because I mean, there's there's nothing to gain, but meeting new people, having an mm-hmm. awesome conversation and learning more about how people got sober. And, you know, we talked to experts and everything like that too. So mm-hmm. with your, your classes that you're taking, what is your next step? Are you going to try to get the podcast like with commercials? Or are you going to start um, or are you working in recovery? Like what are you doing now? So I work in recovery every day. Um, I see clients in the community. I do uh, telehealth visits, um, you know, other outreach aspects. So that that's uh, first and foremost. Um, I would love, love, love 
<clears throat> you know, to get the podcast to the point uh, where we do have some form of commercials and sponsors, uh, you know, but I'm a fan of just putting in the hard work and just letting all those things come to me, like law of attraction. Um, so when the time Love is it. right for that, mm. you know, I know it will appear, but I, I thoroughly enjoy doing it. So whenever that does come, you know, I'm open, willing and ready <laughs> to accept it. Um, I've also for the last year been working. Uh, there's a college here in Virginia called William and Mary. They run a program for mm. entrepreneurs. Um, my wife and I are trying to start uh, detox centers and rehab homes because there's just a major need for them here. So wow. I've been trying to dedicate the time in between everything else to make sure we see that vision all the way through. That's big time. Wow. That's awesome. I'm I mean, trying. really, that's... Thank you. I come from Malibu area, and okay. that's the land, that's like the land of these things. All the way, okay. you know, not just from Malibu, but they have them mm-hmm. all the way, you know, to the valley in California. Mm-hmm. And there's okay. just... There's every kind, you know, and there's so many of them, but there's so many more needed. And I've seen friends that were felons, you know, bottom of the barrel to now helping a lot of people and very successful with these um, detox centers. And it it takes a a specific person to be able to do that, you know, And, and a person who's been through it is oh, yeah. I've seen nothing but success with these people. Okay. And it's incredible. It's pretty cool. Well, that is good to know. Good to know. Hopefully I can so, be a, a, a copycat of that success. Go ahead, Chris. Copy what works. Copy what works. And put yeah. your own little spin on it. I want to share something with you. You mentioned the former agreements, and I'm assuming it's that book by Don Miguel Ruiz, right? That one, yes. <laughs> Do yourself a... F- do yourself a favor and listen to the audiobook version of Musashi's Five Rings, Miyamoto Musashi, the swordsman. Okay. There's a, lov- there's a lovely audiobook version, and there's a certain part in that book which would be emphasized, and you will realize yourself, you're a brainy chap, that correlates with the four agreements. Cutting and killing. What do we do psychologically? And this counts to recovery as well as sobriety. What do we tend to do? A lot of us want to win. We are taught somewhere in this circle of life to go win. But objectively speaking, it's a superlative quality because how are you going to get there? If the uh, reach is beyond the grasp, how are you going to get there? No one provides you with that blueprint, right? Mm -hmm. So what do we do? We backpedal. So we delve back into the past. Can you see the the methodology here? If you can't go forward, you are pressed, backpedal to the past. All you can focus on is here and now. Mm. Cutting and killing. Mm. Think about Mm. it, and then if you tell me it'll correlate or not with the four agreements, because that, to me, in my walk of recovery, is just unbelievable and it's not just in recovery it's in business every given day of life because with these social contracts that that we have in in recovery it's just far too easy to become stagnant to get into a comfort zone yes and we want to dream big we have to achieve big go for what was lost 
But by remaining in the here and now, the cut, doing the cutting and the killing, we're taking mm -hmm. that step forward. All right, cool. What was the name of that book again? The Book of Five Rings. The Book of Five Rings. Okay, I'm going to certainly check that out. Please do. When I got sober... Sorry, I had to shoot one of you there. Hey, you know what? You are the, you're the brilliant one around here. So share. Ah, crap. Crap. I, I love that, <laughs> I love that you... I mean, it's true. I love that you said the law of attraction. When I got sober one year, I watched the law of attraction and I absolutely flipped out, was obsessed with it. And yeah. I just thought it was the most amazing thing. And I used it for years. I'm now doing um, the Lou Tice uh, Pacific Institute to try to retrain my brain because like Chris said, I'm in my 12th week. You didn't know that, Chris? You didn't tell me oh, that. I thought you were stuck. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my I'm in week to the ground. <laughs> Every week we meet. But so I'm jealous. I've been trying I'm to, jealous. you know. There, there it is. I said it. <laughs> but what happens is, is you know, I, like I've, I've been in sobriety for a long time. What happens is, mm -hmm. yes, you do get stagnant. And sometimes, well, a lot of times your alcoholism comes in and it makes you insecure. Mm -hmm. And because mm -hmm. you can't always be doing esteemable acts. We have problems in life. We have insecurities. And mm -hmm. sometimes they can keep really hitting you hard. And oh, yeah. when you don't pick up a drink and you're not and you're kind of stagnant, it hurts. It, yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. So mm -hmm. like retraining my brain, like if I think about when I was sober in one year, mm -hmm. I was in, on this pink cloud and I, mm -hmm. I still right. live the most amazing life. You know, it's just harder, <laughs> not, the, right. not the recovery right. part, but like for you, how do you keep fresh? Like what, what is your suggestions for, um, uh. you know, not just helping others, which that is the main thing that I've seen really work. Like, what do you do for yourself that keeps you in line and not going down the horrible road of lies and deceit? <laughs> so, I mean, the simple answer there is uh, that, you know, when I got the second chance is that I understand that no matter what or how I feel, right, I can't go back to that. Um, but I heard something from a motivational speaker, I believe it was Les Brown, and he had this quote, and he said, what did he say? He said, like, our mind, it was something, I don't want to butcher the quote, but it was like, our minds are a garden, you know, make sure you're giving it the proper nutrients and whatnot. So when he said that, I can tell when, I, when I'm in that space of, like, nothing's moving, I'm stagnant. I can tell, oh, I'm not doing the work. And the work for me is like, let me listen to an audio book. Um, let me meditate. Let me exercise. Let me drink more water, you know. But it's paying attention to those feelings because they do happen. And that was like the whole premise of stepping out of the box, you know. What I found in my recovery journey is like, I'm a natural creator. So when I'm busy, 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 like doing the lives or shooting a podcast or on set as an extra on film or out in the community, when I have downtime, right, and I'm just like sitting still, 
and nothing's coming, you know, don't have anything to record, nothing shooting, and I'm trying to, like, force myself to say something, and I just can't, is when those thoughts creep in. And I'm like, oh, no, it's happening. You know, let me go back to what I know works. And that's when I listen to the audio, listen to some, uh, like, positive affirmations and meditate and such. But that's the main way that I've always kind of got myself out of that slump. This too shall pass is a really great one, isn't it? Most definitely. Most definitely. I try to use that as much as I can. Have you found yourself in a position where you were, you know, in a bad position, like as far as maybe in a bar or, I mean, have you ever been in a position where you, your sobriety was threatened um, for whatever reason? It doesn't matter what it is. No, no because what like, did you do? I think I'm just so, so comfortable with who I am, you know, like drinking and using it just isn't an option. Like I don't ever want to see that person again. Um, you know, and the, if I do go out, I know when to leave the party, you know, like the first time I went out in probably like two years, right? Cause COVID shut a lot of stuff down, <laughs> you know, and um, <laughs> but this past weekend, that was funny. That was a good one. Um, I'm a big Eagles fan, Philadelphia Eagles fan. And when they played the Dallas Cowboys a couple Sundays ago, a few of my old buddies were like, Hey, you want to go to the bar? You know, the same bar that we used to get hammered at every week um, and watch the game. And I was like, sure. And like, oh, well, can you pick us up? I'm like, yeah, no big deal. I'll pick y'all up. We can ride up there. So I go pick them up. We're watching the game. As soon as the ref says game over, I'm paying for my food and I'm leaving. Right? I look at them and say, hey, y'all need a ride home. They, they, they still drink. So they were like, oh, no, we're going to stay. And I left. You know, it's, it's just not an option for me. But I know when to leave, and I just kind of laugh, like, man, if it wasn't for sobriety, I'd be right in there with them on a Sunday night, knowing I got to get up at 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock in the morning on a Monday to get the kids ready to go to school. Like, I just can't allow any of it to mess up what I got going on. You know, it's not an option. And I like to preface that with saying it's not an option yet. You know, just because I don't get triggered and haven't gotten triggered doesn't mean I won't be tested. So it's just mm. being aware of when that moment is going to come and making sure I pay attention to it. And I think that's the most important piece is just knowing that it, you know, it's there. It's definitely still there. And I'm I just got to be alert. No, I'm glad I asked that question because you made me realize something. Um, that? that people just, we, and this is kind of what I want to let other people know mm. when they're young in sobriety is, when you're solid and you're doing the work and you're giving back and all the, all the stuff, cause it's not just one thing. It's a lot of things mm -hmm. that help keep you right. in long-term sobriety that you don't have to worry because it's not something that is a part of your life. It's just, right. you're a different person. You're reborn basically. Yeah, exactly. You know? I am and who I was always context. intended to be. Absolutely. Exactly. And to put it in a similar context, when the fear of the current reality is greater than the fear of change, that's when you change. Right. I like that. That's a Tony, well that's a Tony Robbins quote. That's a Tony Robbins quote of all things, but it's so applicable in recovery. Paraphrasing Daniela, life happens 
and it can throw you a curveball. Short-term, mid-term, long-term recovery. And I appreciate you for what you said because it's, that's even a caution that I have in my back mind that I'll always have another drink in me. I'll always have another mm -hmm. drug in me. But I don't mm -hmm. know if I have another recovery in me. So right. the fear of the current reality is greater or you know what let me just rephrase that when the pain of the current reality is greater than the fear of change that's when you change mm -hmm. that's when you adapt that's when you evolve mm -hmm. staying busy practicing self-care however that may look mm -hmm. it's on the constant or, or it's consistent monitoring it's consistent um, presentness, if that but that's oh, yeah. just made up a word that doesn't exist. <laughs> Being present consistently. It's a word now. It's cool. Uh, I hate developing my own lexicon. Daniela normally laughs at me because of that, but that's ultimately it at the end of the day. Consistent, being laconic consistently. Not policing yourself 24 hours a day like a robot, like a Terminator robot, but identifying consistently where you can improve. And I love you know, it can be a comforting process. About sobriety that really was the most freeing and most amazing thing was because I had I never even spoke about the word hope and I really mm -hmm. never thought about it. And I had absolutely no spiritual connection whatsoever. It yeah. just hit me like a ton of bricks when I got sober. Thank God. And I just turn it over constantly. It's like, let go, let God. And whatever your God uh, yeah. looks like, it doesn't matter. It's so nice. You, I don't care. You can write it on a piece of paper and shove it in the toilet and flush it away mm -hmm. because you don't have to hold on to it because you Absolutely. are completely powerless. It's you done. Are, you know? And it's like, I loved in AA just learning how powerless we we are over people, places, and things. And I never thought about that before. I thought I could control everything, you know. And right. just to just to not have to be in charge anymore—it's such a relief. Oh yeah, we changed so much here. Most certainly, most certainly. Yeah. And then you realize too is like, why would I want to control everything? Like. Who wants that responsibility? <laughs> I know, it's horrible. <laughs> well, there might be one thing that everyone would like to control, and that is the winning numbers for the mega lottery. Just yeah, man. <laughs> that I would have loved. But <laughs> Let's get into that law of attraction stuff. I know. <laughs> <laughs> One thing Do you want to attract the winning it. numbers for the lottery? Daddy, the floor is yours, darling. So with social media, I mean, I'm going to be 50 soon, for God's sakes, you know, and it's, it's, it's tough. I've been doing it for like the last, what, eight years. And I swear to God, my numbers, I, I try to do these videos and I don't like to be on camera anymore. I don't know why I used to when I was young, but I just don't anymore. But I forced myself to do it. But now I'm kind of like, okay with it because I don't want to force myself. So when I do it, um, I feel like 
I don't know. I just feel some days I'm like, I don't care. And other days I just feel like I don't have much to share. Like it really is a very difficult thing these days. I grew up and I don't, how old are you, Jared? 37. 37. Okay. So I didn't have cell phones when I was in high school and, you know, and I didn't have, uh, we had beepers like in 12th grade, you know, and <laughs> there wasn't, there was no social media. So I don't even have pictures really of when I was drinking and using and had no eyebrows and I shaved my head and had a hole in my chin, you know, and I wish I did because man, I would love to see that. But, um, like social media can be really challenging and I can see how that would be a hard thing for people who not only are trying to get sober that maybe can't, they're ashamed, um, I mean, it's just become such an integral part of our lives. And, yeah. and you, it's really a lot. I mean, how do you feel about it? Good and bad, uh, right? Yeah, most definitely. I think uh, an active addiction, what, what you find, you know, for me at least in social media, it was just a highlight reel, right? You know, is what a lot of it became. So you can put, or not you, but I can put any appearance at that time on social media to appear that my life is good like everything yeah. is going great you know and I, I feel like a lot of people fall into that realm and then that becomes like oh they're doing awesome why can't i do what they're doing you know so you fall into this realm of comparison um yeah. now for me social media is just about connection right like i really use the social part of the media to you know build a community of support you know if you need help reach out if i can do something for you you know let me know and i also like to give love back you know i just some nights find myself scrolling and commenting because a like and a comment could change somebody's day like oh somebody is paying attention and i agree with you daniela there's been days where i want to walk away from all of it right if i didn't have i don't like saying followers but if i didn't have supporters if I didn't feel like I had to post a picture to talk about the podcast, I would delete everything and just only go see the people in the community. But it's like, I already started it. You know, at least let's see where this road leads to if I just continue yeah. to build and grow and connect. I mean, that's what it is these days. It is social media, yeah. everything. That's and it's it. just it's, everything. It's fast as lightning. Mm -hmm. And like with this platform, the live interactions mm -hmm. and we would love to have somebody come up and ask questions uh for jared i don't know if anyone uh has any questions but throw them out there let's come on up um because that's what we're here for live interactive you know entertainment okay. with okay. each other so you know if anyone wants to come up let's do this um, <laughs> yeah no that'd be awesome and, and the traveling of information these days and i think you know, some of the people that I go to the communities, they're younger. So I get to tell them, like, man, you really, all of you have um, the world at your fingertips, right? Yeah. Because I'm in the generation where we saw the two TVs become the bigger TVs to flat screens. We saw, mm -hmm. you know, dad's big CD tower in the closet that I couldn't touch <laughs> turn into, you know, like thousands of songs in my pocket. So how I understand the internet as just a place to share and grow, 
these kids now get to understand the internet in a space of SEOs and marketing. You know, yeah. so it's like really cool to see the one of the guards almost that they get to come into a world where it's already there. If you start now at 16, 17, sharing like a day-to-day regimen, like by 25, you should have some money in your pocket and a brand built A, B, C, D. So it's really cool from that standpoint to watch. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's real sad about the Aaron Carter, you know, thing. And yeah, Aaron Carter was uh, messed up. You know, he had a lot of mental health issues, but the poor guy, I mean, he really, I did follow him on social media and when he would have a live, I would just kind of go on there. I don't know why I didn't grow up in his era. I really didn't know his childhood music or anything, Mm -hmm. but I just knew he was suffering. I could see it. I could tell, you know, and it's just amazing what the people would do and, and how they would I mean, there are some real evil trolls on the internet, and they just want to really hurt. That's right. Yeah. And it's really just, it's just so terrible that, you know, there's nothing that you can really do about these people. I mean, you could block them, but this guy, he was just bashed from hundreds and hundreds of Talked people in, in a live. Were just, really? Oh, it was horrible. It was so sad. I just oh, couldn't no. believe it. Yeah. Dang. And he just he still kept showing up though and he mm-hmm. would talk to the his fans but you know it's just sad because here's this guy who's really talented i mean he really was mm-hmm. talented this guy and mm-hmm. his life just everybody just went along with everything and i mean yeah with addiction it's tough you can't force somebody to quit but right you know it's like mm-hmm. Him and 500, 500 other kids probably died that day because of the fentanyl right. and yeah. taking to, you know, right. it's, I mean, it's they're fucking dying every day, just hundreds of every them. single day. And, you know, I talked to, you know, my buddy Brock, he's in Arizona. He's a, he's a retired police officer now. And in the discussion, I was just like, man, it's crazy because I don't believe this stuff was around in my active addiction days because I would have been dead and gone because especially serving powder, you know, um, you could have gave me anything. You know, I could have sold that to anybody, you know, because it just was what it was. I'm going to trust that the person that's handing me this is telling me what it is. So it's like when I sit back and think about my life, I really hurt for the people that I affected by my recklessness. You know, like me, I'm cool with me. Like I've forgiven myself. You know, what I sought out to do is like, if I could remember a majority of the people that I did sell drugs to, um, I reached out to them and apologized, you know, because that, that was like the downside of social media too, is like where they were, they thought they were posting a highlight reel of them having fun at a party. And I'm, I'm, this is when I'm getting sober. I can actively see their appearance declining. And I could only yeah. think, like, man, I had something to do with that, you know? And that part of it hurts. So, yeah. And then, you know, the, the piggyback on the troll situation, it sucks. And online is like a like a crazy place, man. And, and I pray for his family, you know, for everything that he probably went through, being in those elements and having access to some of that stuff, you know, on the drop of a phone call. 
it's got to be rough. And I wouldn't know how to take, actually, my, my guy actually asked me that on the podcast. Like, you know, what would you do if, if we had 100 negative comments? And I was like, well, for me, I'd probably just leave a heart. You know, that's, <laughs> but that's, that's who I am, you know, and I don't know how everybody else feels because I know like cyberbullying is a real thing. You know, I just think I've been through so much real world stuff that it's like, bro, I could care less what you say about me online. So well, it's tough. It's tough. What I can appreciate about that is you've mentally conditioned yourself to ignore the trolls. Mm. But there are people out there in our community who are very, very sensitive and with good reason. Very. Right, right. We were talking about Aaron Carter now, but I'd like to take it to a couple of years ago with this Demi Lovato saga and the whole California sober debacle that uh, mm -hmm. erupted. Mm -hmm. I watched that interview, and the one thing I was hoping, I was still on, on FM radio at the time, the one mm -hmm. thing I was not uh, that I was hoping would not happen was that my producer would email me the story that I would have to talk about it, and ultimately I had to. I mean, what could I do? Mm -hmm. And I said, because everyone was anti-Demi Lovato, big time. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, you know what? Instead of bashing Demi Lovato, why not bash the journalist who asked her questions about her sobriety? Because it was honest, honestly an attempt from the journalist to try and attract some form of tabloid journalism to sell copy. Right. And... As much as sex sells, controversy sells. And I'd like to bring it to Aaron Carter. You know, everyone trashed him on that live, and now there's thousands mm. of questions jumping forth as to why did he take his life. The same question happened, or the same questions arose back in the 90s. Do you remember this, Danny, with Brad Renfro, who died, and Corey Hain? Oh, yeah. Former I'm child actors. The other Corey's not dead. I used to hang out with him, and it was pretty crazy. Corey Feldman. He's been sober about probably a few more years than I have, I think. I'm not sure. Okay. But uh, the fact remains standing is if you want to talk about a sensitive subject like that in the media, mm -hmm. rather have someone with lived experience like moi and mademoiselle, let us mm -hmm. give the human experience because we've got the knowledge, but not just that, we've got the lived experience. So we can come with a more of a sympathy angle and we right. can divulge the story a whole lot more, excuse repetitiveness sympathetically mm -hmm. versus someone else who is just trying to bleed copy to be the first one in front of the line to push that story and then ultimately get a paycheck and then go without absolute scant regard for the person that has just passed and the family members and the friends who are involved. That mm -hmm. is just mean. That's checkbook journalism and I'm not a fan of it whatsoever. That's awesome that you can stand in that position because it's like a... Uh like a protector almost, right? Like you get to make sure that you're protecting the people who are, who would be subjected to the trolling from someone that's just after the check looking for that negative headline, 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 headline to sell copies. Well, Jared, we all can do it. And you know what? Mm -hmm. Please laugh at me if you want to because I'm going to say something that is so simple. We all know it, but why don't we practice it? And this is not just in recovery, but this is in life. If we don't have anything positive to say about someone or something, we can agree to yeah, disagree. Right. But at the end of the day, if you don't have anything nice to say, <laughs> shut the fuck up. 
Third. You got hit one of your buttons. You know what? I think people get so misunderstood. I know I'm misunderstood, you know, online. Like, like I can't, I try to get, get in with these girls. They want nothing to do with me, you know? Like, I try to message them and talk with them. They don't want nothing. <laughs> Am I too old? I don't know. But, you know, it's just, it's it's a tough situation when you're, you know, for anyone, social media. And it's just, I'm grateful that you're here today. And, and I'm thankful that you came on the show. And we'd love to have you back, of course. Yeah, we want to be on your show. To. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. You know, I'm, I'm always honored and grateful anytime someone reaches out and just wants to hear me speak because, you know, in my head, I've done so much wrong. This is like the minimum I can do is to show up and have a conversation and talk about, you know, the gifts of recovery. You know what I'm saying? And then we definitely got to set that up. I love to have you all on the Redeem Yourself podcast. That would be awesome. Let's make that happen. And so what's this sexy, this sexy lips that are on you? you surprise oh, sexy. Yeah, surprise sexy. sexy. So where can everybody find your podcast, your sobriety is sexy? Anything you All want right. to share, we'd love to know. All right. So everything that I do online is strength and time. You know, whatever you want to find out, if you Google strength and time, I'm going to be the only thing that pops up uh, the website strengthintime.com is where all the clothing, mugs, blog, and Redeem Yourself podcast and streams on all platforms. Uh, you know, some of the older lives are on YouTube and the, and the other platform. Um, but yeah, if you search either one of those, you'll see everything you need to know. Fantastic. Maybe you can come back on the show and talk about meditation because we really, we have a, a, a <laughs> A meditation person on here right now and i that's something i really would like to learn more about because it's very difficult for me the one that i do is it's a guided meditation by tony robbins i learned it when i went to the unleash the power within seminar in 2017 in new jersey so it was cool it was it was awesome and it was the first time i felt like i actually meditated so i still use it like i'm not doing the work i just google and YouTube that um that meditation is 15 minutes doesn't take long but what I like about it is it takes you through three phases the first phase is like everything you're grateful for um the second phase is like honoring your heart and everything that like matters to you just like your body your cells your blood your breath your mind like everything that you have in conscious and then the third phase is uh stating what you want to see happen in life and really setting those in intentions towards it. So it's just a cool three-step meditation that I use. Thanks for the tip. <laughs> no, thank you. Awesome. Chris, you want to leave?
Thank mm-hmm. you.